Before I start the show, I want to mention my AWS S3 command line course from Udemy. You can get that with 20% off using the link in the show notes below. So if you're manipulating AWS S3 buckets via the command line, then do check that out. Also, a massive thank you to all of the Patreon supporters for supporting How to Code Well. If you want to support the channel and if you want to get early access to some of the content, then please consider becoming a Patreon. Link to that in the show notes as well. Okay, let's get on with the show. Hello, coders. Everybody likes lists and everybody likes Docker. So we're going to talk about 19 things that you can use or do to improve your Docker skills. These are 19 things that I wish I knew when I started learning Docker myself. Number one is use Docker Compose even if you only have one container. So first of all, if you don't know what Docker Compose is, then please do go and read the documentation because it will certainly help speed up your deployment of your Docker containers, regardless of whether it's locally or staging or production. But using Docker Compose is a fantastic way of configuring the Docker container. It's configuration in code. So it saves having to write out those long-winded commands, those, do- those Docker run commands. So use Docker Compose, even if you only have one container. Learn the difference between a bind mount and a Docker volume. This is tip number two. So the difference between a bind mount is and, and, and a Docker volume is that a bind mount is mounting a file system or a file path into the container, whereas a Docker volume is a specific Docker object that you can use to persist data regardless of whether the container is down or not. It's fantastic for things like storing MySQL databases and and things like that that you don't want to be removed when the container drops, but you don't necessarily want to store on your host machine either. And also, this will go down into another tip, but also it is Docker volumes are great for sharing persisted data across containers, and we will talk about that more. So learn the difference between bind mounting and Docker volumes. Okay, so number three is use the RM flag when you're creating one-off scripts in a container. This is something that I've I must admit, I'm recently doing more and more of. This is brilliant. So for anyone who who watches the How to Code Well live streams on Twitch, you'll know that I've got a, a huge amount of auditing tools that I'm working through. I've got this make tests command, which will go off and do various different things, such as PHP stan, such as uh, PHP unit, codeception, all of that kind of stuff. And... We also have the front end, which is Gatsby. So that's Node. And what I can use is the hyphen hyphen RM flag to remove the container once a script has has been executed. This means that my containers for testing are kind of very sort of used once and then removed, which is just brilliant. It's brilliant. It means that I can now remove the build tools and the testing tools and the auditing tools out of the actual 
container that the web server is in and use other sort of sidecar containers, if you will, to then again connect to the Docker volumes that we create, we were talking about earlier and then do some auditing off of that. So, and the, and the hyphen hyphen RM will remove the container once that script has been executed, meaning that it is a, just a one-off script that gets, gets ran. It's fantastic. It's really good for node, really, really good for, for running a script that does uh, an NPM install or a yarn install. You know, you only do that once, right? You only run that once and then, that's it. You don't, so you don't actually need to have node in your local development environment. That is a sidecar. That is a container on the side your, for your build. Okay. So talking about builds, number uh, four is use multi-stage builds. So this is where you can split up your Docker file into smaller little chunks that represent smaller little images and you can copy uh, files from one stage to the next. This is really, really useful if you're, if, if you are going through that process of, of building sort of little stages and then you finalize your final image. Also something that I've been using recently is like a, a stage right at the end when we're moving into more of a production ready type image to clean up and remove basically cleanse the production image from various different artifacts that were left over during the build. So for example, there is scripts in there that hunts down markdown files and removes them. There's scripts in there that hunts down tests and removes them or cache and that gets removed. So just a, a, a final image, a final stage in the build that just makes sure that the, the Docker image, the final image is actually nice and clean. And obviously you can use the Docker uh, multi-stage builds to create stages during the build, such as this is composer, this is NPM, you know, this is the, the, the tools that I need from XYZ. You can also pull in, say, S3 assets as well at different stages and so forth. Just be wary that it, it runs from top down. So if you're targeting a stage right at the bottom, it still needs to work through these stages above, which is a bit of a gripe of mine. Okay. So number, uh, we were on four there. Number five is use Docker ignore. So this is an ignore file, much like your git ignore file. This ignores files out and folders out of the build context. So when you do a Docker build, what you're doing is you're sending everything up in the current context. And you're saying, this is all the things that I want to, to be put through into the Docker build. Now, of course, there's a bunch of stuff there. I've already mentioned a couple such as markdown files or tests or what have you that you pretty much want to ignore uh, from the context. It makes your Docker image much smaller because you're not including that into the build context. So if you combine the Docker ignore file and a build step, a multi-stage step uh, at the end of your build, and you combine the two. So you're ignoring things in the build context, and then you're removing things after the build has been, been done. You get a nice lean, lightweight image. 
Okay, so moving on to number five, I think, or is it six? Number six, sorry, use Docker system prune to remove dead and unused Docker objects. This is fantastic. If you're, if you once had a, a machine, <laughs> a development environment that had huge amounts of space, and then you're halfway through a project or you're building many projects and you're like, why, why do I not have a lot of space left on my Mac? <laughs> Type Docker system prune hyphen A and, and watch gigabytes return. This will remove all the, like I said, the, the unused Docker objects. And you can control which objects these are. So for instance, dangling images, that kind of stuff, or images that don't have containers associated to them, or uh, Docker volumes and old networks and other bits and pieces that uh, you, you have. And also just go through your Docker volumes every, every now and then do a Docker volume LS and just see uh, what volumes you've gotten and also the size of them because that, that can be pretty, pretty big. Okay. So moving on to number seven, use dive to see what can be removed. You can see that there's a little bit of a trend here in terms of making sure your Docker images are, are nice and small. Dive is a fantastic tool. I'll link it in the show notes below. It's a fantastic tool that analyzes your Docker image and then gives you some suggestions as to what you could remove. It actually gives you a percentage of potential files that you can remove. And it's, it's a brilliant tool because you can actually go into the Docker layers individually in the Docker image, and you can actually get into the file system and see what's there and, and uh, see if there's anything that you can remove. So it really does forensically go into your Docker image. It's, it's brilliant. It's brilliant. Okay. So number, where are we? Number eight is don't carry build tools into production. So again, this is another thing about reducing the Docker image size down. Um, it basically means that you are your attack surface is much smaller. And also when you're in production, you really shouldn't have any build tools in there anyway. So build tools, in my opinion, could be from Git upwards, right? So Git, Composer, um, NPM, that kind of stuff. Once your Docker image is in production, there is no need for those things. There's no need for the ability to, to run Git clone again. There's no need to run NPM install again. There's no need, in my opinion, to run any kind of console command that will update the files because that update of the files is therefore an update of the image in my opinion. So you kind of need to do another Docker build, right? If something changes, it really depends, I suppose, on your pipeline and your deployment process. I'm of the opinion that once your Docker image is built for production, you shouldn't really go and tinker with files. Certainly Nano and Vim shouldn't be installed on Docker for production, in my opinion, at least. Number nine is learning the difference between Docker arguments and Docker environment variables. These are very different things, but they can actually be used together in harmony. An environment variable is a variable that gets baked into the image. Um, once it's there, it's there. And also be very cautious because once it's there, you can then take a look at the Docker history and actually see the value. So in clear text, 
A Docker argument, however, is an argument that you can supply into the Docker run command. So you can say build with args and supply your arguments. You can also set the environment variables to the arguments and also set defaults if the argument hasn't been supplied. Uh, so a, a good use for this is, let's say, for instance, you want to target different versions of various different things, like a different version of Node, a different version of Composer, or what have you, whatever you want to use or install, you can, or even PHP or Python. Anyway, you can pass in those versions as arguments and update the build when you actually run Docker build. Okay, so that's number nine is learn the difference between arguments and environment variables. Uh, number 10 is is kind of like off the side of this. So number 10 is use an ENV file. Um, this is really, really awesome because then you can use different environment variable files for different environments. Okay, so you've got testing, staging, uh, development, or production. You could have a .env file for each one of those things and then use Docker Compose to just change that up, which is, which is super useful. Again, I go back to the first point of using Docker Compose, even if you've only got one Docker container. So you can use, you can pass in obviously .env or that'll go up automatically, but you can actually target specific ENV files if you want to. Number 11 is about using multiple Docker Compose files. This, this blew my mind when I learned how to do this. So this is a way of, of passing in multiple Docker Compose files into your command and all your Docker Compose commands can take this. Use the hyphen F flag to do so. So for example, let's say you had a development environment. Let's say you had a testing environment. Let's say the test environment required some of the development environment services, but also included the services for the testing environment. So what you would do is you would do Docker compose. You would also have hyphen F docker hyphen compose dot dev dot YAML and then hyphen F docker compose hyphen whatever test dot yaml as well. And what you're doing there is you're saying, I want all the dev stuff, but then I want all the test stuff as well. And if anything is in the test compose file that was in the dev compose file, it gets overwritten, right? So you can override your dev services with your test configuration, which is pretty awesome. So if you've got certain services specifically for different environments, then you can do that. So perhaps you can do dev, you could do test and you could do production and, and so on and so forth. You can obviously have different Docker files for different um, environments as well. You can target those files as well. So you could have a dockerfile.prod or a dockerfile.dev if you wanted to. Tip number 12 is about Docker machine. This tool was the thing that actually got me involved in Docker because I was struggling with creating different virtual machines for different projects. I'm a freelancer. There's many projects that I have and many projects that I continually work on. And I was struggling with creating VPSs uh, locally, virtual servers locally for different projects. And I was looking for a way to isolate those projects and Docker Machine was just fantastic. Essentially, Docker Machine 
is a lightweight virtual machine that has the Docker engine installed. And so when I'm working locally, all I need to do is spin up the Docker machine. I need to evaluate the current terminal shell to that machine. And then all the Docker commands that I run in the terminal are actually running against the Docker machine that I've evaluated which is fantastic. And also Docker machine is a great way to control remote ma- machines that have the Docker engine installed on there too. So yeah, I, I highly recommend Docker machine just locally, just to, just to isolate your projects because there's nothing worse than one project polluting another project because perhaps you've got a PHP any file that they both share and you need to change one and it's going to affect the other one. That's the problems that I faced. That's why I went down the route of having virtual machines. But then of course you're limited by the, by the resources that you have to do that, which is why Docker is fantastic because the resources are not defined at startup. <laughs> okay. So where are we now? Number 12. Number 13 then is to use entry points. An entry point is a way of treating your Docker container like an executable, like a binary file. So you spin it up, it does something, it runs a command and then off it and then there it goes. If you used obviously the hyphen hyphen RM command, then the container gets removed afterwards. But it's a great way of, of, of treating it like some form of executable. Now there is a bit of com- confusion with entry points and, and CMDs. They are very similar. However, when you're using entry points, you are defining the arguments that you need to run. With a CMD, what you're doing is you're targeting an existing command and you're, you can override the default arguments for that command. For example, you could be using Apache and so you could be uh, restarting Apache or doing something with Apache or running it in the background, maybe whatever. So you would be passing those arguments in to the CMD of Apache. If you wanted to run a shell script and you wanted to pass arguments into that shell script, then you would define that in your entry point. You would say, this is the entry point. This is the command that I've created, the the, the shell script, and these are the arguments that I want to pass. Number 14 is all about installing only what you need. So when I started Docker many years ago, I would just install everything. I'd go, oh, I need all of that. I need all of that. I need that safety net. Now, as I've progressed in my career, it's more about narrowing down the size of the, of the Docker image, the final image, and trying to get rid of as much fat as possible because this has a big impact on deployment times. It has a big impact on cost of storage. So only install what you need. And this really goes into the next tip of use Alpine images if you can. Now, there's a lot of work involved when you are actually using Alpine images. Alpine images, by the way, are very small, very, very small images that have the like the minimum needed. They are there's a lot of work that needs that's involved here because you're obviously working from a very small baseline. And so you have to therefore define all the things you need rather than just 
assume that they're in there because it's Ubuntu. Uh, so, so don't use, don't use operating systems like Ubuntu. That's what I'm trying to say is, is use Alpine images and Alpine image is very, very small. But like I said, there's a lot of work involved in actually defining what you need, which means that there's a lot of DevOps because you end up starting to learn about different libraries that you never knew existed. <laughs> Tip number 16 is about using a make file. So let's just do a quick recap. Let's say, for example, you have a huge amount of Docker run commands. So everything you do, you use Docker run. And it's got to a point now where you're creating many, many lines for a single Docker run command. Tip number one was all about using Docker Compose to define the configuration that you would pass in as arguments to your Docker run command. Great. So now you're using Docker Compose and you're actually using multiple Docker Compose files because you, you found out that you can override your configuration from one environment to the next by using the hyphen F flag. But now you have to have another massive command to do anything with Docker Compose because you have to define the various different Docker Compose files in hyphen F form. So use a make file and actually write your commands in a very verbose way. So for example, I have make install. It will install, it'll do the build, it'll do the run, all the other various bits and pieces to install whatever it is that I'm, that I need. Also create a make uninstall. So this will uninstall whatever I've just installed. <laughs> and with a make file, you can, you can tag or, or you can sort of combine many make file, many make commands in one. All right. So I've got like a make up, a make build. I've got a, a, a make vendor install, a make UI install, that kind of stuff. And then they're all combined into a single make install. So I can target specific commands if I want to, or I can just run the whole thing. I've also got a, a script that, that I'm using in most of my projects now, and that is called make nuke. <laughs> this will just destroy everything. So the, like, like I say, I use Docker machine. If I used a, a make random make nuke, then what, what it'll do is it'll just drop the machine, delete every single thing, basically start from scratch. And tip number 18 kind of follows on from the data volume tip. And that is to share your data volumes across containers that have different agendas. So for example, if you're, if you're, if you've got your log files in a data volume, in a Docker volume, and you, you want to analyze those log files, you want to have a tool that will go into the log files and discover certain things. Maybe you want to search your access logs for a specific, I don't know, IP address or what have you, you want to make sure that there's no bots coming in, that kind of stuff. And you're using a specific tool, maybe it's Go Access or something like that, that can analyze and really granularly get into your logs. You're not going to have that application just sat on your web server, in your web server container. You need another container specifically for that use. But that container needs to have access to your logs, which is why whenever you come and have this sort of like this decision where you're, you're having to share data to various things, it's always good to put that data 
in a Docker volume that can be shared across containers. Another example that I could give is where I did a, a, a migration from one PHP version to the next. So what we did is we kept the, the composer files in a Docker volume. So our vendor directory was in a, a Docker volume. And then what we did is we changed the, the image of PHP to be the latest version of PHP or another version up at least. And then we mounted the Docker volume into the container, just, you know, normally Docker volume. But we still, so that those files were built from a previous version of PHP. So we were then able to run a composer update and discover the differences between jumping from PHP versions. The last tip, tip number 19, is about the tagging of Docker images. So there's a, there's an assumption which is wrong. That is the latest tag is the latest and greatest code. Tags actually don't follow any kind of convention. It's not like Semver. It's not like minor, major, min, min, you know. Just because it says it's latest doesn't mean it's latest. Now, latest is the default tag if you don't actually supply a tag to pull. But there is an assumption that because I've got the tag of latest, I have the latest code. But believe you me, that's not the case. I've got myself into hot water before because on one of the images that I was using, I wasn't actually specifying a tag because I was assuming that the latest Docker image, the tagged of latest, was the one I wanted. But it wasn't. That was actually out of date. (laughs) So... The latest tag doesn't mean that that is the latest build of the Docker image. (laughs) If you've got any more Docker tips, then do let me know. Put them down in the comments below or hook me up on Twitter at HowToCodeWell. Thank you ever so much for watching on the YouTubes and listening on the podcasts. Happy coding, everybody. And I'll see you again, hopefully, in a Twitch stream one day. Cheers. Bye.